0: Resource Cost, a weekly podcast searching answers to hard questions on how to produce, trade and consume natural resources. I am Hari Tulsidas, your host for the show. If you have a comment or a question, please leave me a message through email or leave a public comment on Reddit. Details are available on the show notes. Today is 29 March 2020. We are leaving in the midst of an history in making. We can't ignore the pandemic, which is a major milestone in our history. Perhaps life will never be the same after this pandemic. From this pandemic, perhaps we'll learn one major thing, one big thing, our blindness. Previous episodes of Resource Cost talked about COVID-19 pandemic and how this could possibly end. Vaccines are the true last line of defence in any epidemic. And we have discussed how, as a global community, we were truly unprepared and grossly mismanaged in the management of this pandemic. Mainly because there was no vaccines available. The SARS epidemic, which came in 2002, had initiated a vaccine development against coronavirus, but it was left halfway. Even if we had a vaccine which could be 50% effective, it would have made a major difference today. But unfortunately, we missed that. In last week's episode, we discussed how testing could make a difference. Testing is the second line of defense, or the middle line of defense, We have against an epidemic. We are seeing that testing is not fast enough in going out to the population. And even in highly infected areas in Italy, Spain, or in other countries, testing has not progressed enough. This week, We will talk about the front line of defence. When neither a vaccine is ready or fast, testing is available. What can we do to control the virus in the best way possible? There was a solution other than vaccines and testing available all along, but we abjectly missed it. Due to this deplorable missing of something that was very obvious, we have let a global tragedy to take countless lives and letting global economy in its worst recession ever. We have to remember this. We are blind to the obvious and we are also blind to our blindness. Sun Tzu, who lived in 500 BC in China, in his book, The Art of War, says, If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. The important thing in fighting any war is that you should know the enemy. Here in this pandemic, in this war against this pandemic, the virus, we should know what it is. It is key to fight the disease. But due to an inherent agency problem we have, we tend to call this virus an organism, wild beast or a demon that is causing this disease. It is nothing of that sort. A virus is actually not a living being. Some biologists may object to calling a virus an inanimate matter, but it is the truth. Virus is just a piece of structured organic matter. The idea that a virus is an organism came from different sources, and a paper in 1990 which says the classification of organisms at the edge of life or the problems with virus systematics. Perhaps papers like this bring the notion that virus is a living being. I'm not a biologist and I'm not also a virologist so I may be wrong with the etymology but we can all read and understand that a virus is just a particle. It has got a small string of genetic matter usually the ribonucleic acid or RNA. Sometimes it could be deoxyribonucleic acid or DNA. The RNA is an extremely unstable molecule whereas DNA is a bit more stable. What RNA or DNA does is that it contains a code which encodes some proteins. So using this code these proteins can be created within a cell. In a virus this small piece of genetic material either in form of RNA or DNA is surrounded by a protein coat called capsid which surrounds and protects the genetic material. Some viruses also will have an outside envelope of fatty materials. And there will be some proteins in this envelope which functions to attach to living cells. All life in earth is cell-based. If you have living organism, then essentially there has to be a cellular network in it. If it is a single-celled organism, there will be one cell. If it is a multicellular organism, there will be multiple group of cells. A cell has got the mechanism to produce energy, which is required for any organism to live. A virus on its own can do nothing. It has got no cell, it can't produce energy, it can replicate, and it can't evolve. All these things, producing energy, replication, evolution, they are the features of a real living organism. A virus particle is an organic particle that can enter a living cell and change the behavior of the cell in such a way that virus particle can replicate itself. Many other inanimate matter, such as atoms and molecules, can invade a living cell and cause many disruptions, and even destroy the cell itself. We don't call such toxic substances as living organisms. Similarly, a virus is also not a living organism, It is a toxic substance that can disrupt the normal functioning of a cell. The difference between a toxic metal or a toxic chemical and a virus material is that the virus has a blueprint, the genetic code, by which it can replicate itself and produce proteins that are required to assist with the replication process if it enters or attaches to a cell. Once it enters a cell or attaches itself to a cell, it can create multiple copies of itself through self-assembly. Because it has got this information code, the particle can also naturally evolve through the process of natural selection. This is a basic feature of organic compounds and it has got nothing great in it. It can self-assemble to create more complex structures. This is something many organic compounds are capable of doing. If this organic structure is wedded to an information transcribing process, as in a nucleic acid, you have the basic unit of a virus. That on its own can't do anything. But attached to or getting inside a cell, it can make copies of itself. Being a piece of nucleic acid means that it can also evolve. The origin of such viral particles are also disputed by biologists. They could be one's cells that regressed into the current form or it could have been pieces of RNA or DNA that escaped from a living cell or it could be that virus co-evolved with the earliest cells. In any case viruses are nuisances. They are bits and pieces of organic matter that are found wherever other living beings are existing. But understanding a virus is essential in stopping it. Transmission of a virus, for example, like coronavirus, from one cell to another is the next factor we have to understand. A virus does not have the ability to go out and seek for a host cell. The host cell will have to find a virus. A living cell will have to find a virus and expose it to the invasion by the virus. The virus on its own cannot go out and find host cells. When a COVID-19 disease patient coughs or speaks or laughs, the mucus emitted from the upper respiratory tract will contain millions of viruses. When such mucus comes out as droplets, it may fall on the ground or on some surface and it will lie there. And it will start the process of disintegration. If the droplets are inhaled by another person, the viruses can come into contact with the cells of the nose or throat and infect those cells. Sometimes a person can touch a surface and transfer the virus to the mouth through the hand. How effective? this kind of transfer is something which is being researched. Some scientists also have the opinion that some of the small aerosols that can come out of the mouth can also carry the virus. And such aerosols could be airborne for up to 3 hours. Again, this has to be proven by more studies. A virus like the measles virus stays in the air for a long time and it is very infective. A person with measles can infect up to 18 other people. SARS virus is also supposed to be airborne. It could be also transmitted through fecal matter. And the aerosols coming from the toilet flushing can carry the virus and be in the air for a long time and thus can infect more people. Remember, SARS virus is also a coronavirus, just like the SARS-CoV-2 virus which is causing the COVID-19 disease. But the main thing in this story is that human being has to come in the way of the virus. A virus cannot seek out a human being to infect. If no person comes in the way of the virus molecules, which are dispersed in the air, then the virus can't go anywhere. It will go down onto the ground or onto some surface and it will start disintegrating. This is a very important lesson to fight this virus. Don't come in its way. Don't seek out a virus. If this doesn't happen, then the virus is gone. It can never reproduce in some safe havens or in safe places like in filthy ground within filthy material, etc. If there is no host cells coming in the way of the virus, that will be the end of the virus. Scientists calculate the ability of a virus to spread by a notation called r naught, R0. r naught for COVID-19 causing virus, we call it coronavirus or SARS-CoV-2, is about 24 That means that an infected person can transmit it to two or three other people. Control measures for fighting in a pandemic like this coronavirus pandemic is to bring down this R0 value from 2.4 to 1 or below 1. If it is 1, there is no growth in spread of the virus. If the R0 value is below 1, the infection is starting to die out. Physical distancing, which is actually the correct term as some people are now claiming, rather than social distancing, is a method to bring down the r naught to 1 or below 1. We say stand 6 feet apart or 2 meters apart means that this is the minimum distance that is considered safe for the droplets coming from one person to fall on the ground rather than go into some other person's mouth. But all these ways of stopping coronavirus has got issues. When we say that one person carrying coronavirus can infect two to three people, it is an average. An average which is taken by studying a large population of coronavirus-infected patients. But the human society doesn't work with averages. Humans are all natural networkers. They like to seek out other people, talk, laugh, or maybe kiss one another. All these are key to spreading the virus. But unfortunately, we have some super networkers, people people who are always on the move. They have an important role in spreading this virus or in doing anything in a human society. And because of this, calculating r not using averages, doesn't work in, in a practical manner. Theoretically, yes, we could come up with some numbers. But in a normal human society, it doesn't work in this way. The super networkers reach out to other people. We don't have to seek them. They come to us. They speak, shake hands, laugh and then go. In that process, they could transfer viruses from one person to hundreds of other people. Super networkers make our calculations go wrong, even when physical distancing is practiced very rigorously. We have seen an example of one person now known as patient 31, who caused 80% of the spread of coronavirus in South Korea. Hence, our best laid plans in physical distancing and lockdowns can go haywire due to one or two such super networkers in, in any society. We have to be very cautious here in blaming these super networkers. It is their nature to network and they are not the cause of this disease. It is the virus which is causing the disease. Albert Laszlo Barabasi, in his book Burst, the hidden pattern behind everything we do, from your email to bloody crusades, says the story of Georgi Sikhi, the Hungarian hero who was one day in Belgrade, a few days later in Prague, and a few days later in the Hungarian countryside, raising a crusade army. The effort quickly unfolded Into a local peasant revolution that led to Seki's gruesome killing a few weeks later. Malcolm Gladwell, in his book Tipping Point How Little Things Can Make a Big Difference, talks about super connectors. Super connectors are people in community who know large numbers of people who are in the habit of making introductions. He gives example of an experiment where a dozen letters were addressed to a specific New York address and was distributed around the world. The person who got the letter was asked to find another person and hand it over with an instruction that go find another person who could possibly take it to New York. Never mail the letter. Through a chain of handovers, all the letters ultimately came to the New York address and were handed over in person. But the amazing fact was that one person brought about half the letters to this New York address. We can see a super connector, a super networker here. Such people are there in all societies and they make physical distancing often impossible to enforce. Maybe viruses exist because of such super connectors, not only in human beings, but also in the animal world. This is an area of organized complexity, which we have discussed in detail in the earlier episode of Visoscast. The law of averages doesn't work here. If we have a number for R0, it is just a few individuals who contribute to this number. A vast majority of people who get a virus may not be spreading it to anyone else. We also have discussed that coronavirus pandemic is not just a seasonal flu. It is not like any other flu we normally see every year. Today it has affected almost every country in the world. Some people are concerned with poor countries like India, which they believe do not have a good healthcare system. They do not even have a primary healthcare system to fight this pandemic, and are seeing deeply worrying about countries like India or many of the other countries in Africa. Assuming that India is so backward that it doesn't even have a healthcare system doesn't make it any more disadvantaged than the most prosperous country in the world. Take the example of United Kingdom. UK has about 1,000 spare intensive care beds. It has a total of 4,000 intensive care beds, but 3,000 normally will be occupied by other patients and you have 1,000 to spare at any time. If this coronavirus has got an R0 of 2.4, we can see that 60% of the population will be affected if no measures are taken. So of the 80 million people in the UK, 42 million will be infected. If at least 5% of the infected people need intensive care, that is 2.1 million patients. These are the numbers which will break any health system Anywhere in the world, in any country, prosperous or poor, no country is prepared to face such an impact of a pandemic. The coronavirus, for one thing, enforces a democratic levelling. We have talked about the main line of defence – testing, contact tracing, isolation. This can effectively control the virus. But we today know that testing is in its infancy still and has not reached out to a large population infected in highly impacted countries like Italy, Iran or the US now. We have got some good indications of fast tests now coming up, the test which can give results in few minutes rather than waiting for days which is a practice rather than waiting for days for the results to come. Some of these testings may not be very perfect in the beginning, but things improve. We also learned that serological tests or blood tests for antibodies is also coming. Now, antibodies are reaction our body makes to the virus infection. Such antibodies may take a few days to appear in our bloodstream, but once it has appeared, it will remain there for a long time. And these antibodies could be detected by very, very fast and cheap tests. And such tests will give an important information on the spread of the virus. And we know that coronavirus is very bad and it is such a horrible pandemic which we are seeing today, mainly because of its tendency to have a silent spread also. So the virus will be spreading from one person to another without having any symptoms of this disease. But with the blood testing, serological testing, we will be able to know about this silent spread of the virus. One test which China was enforcing very strictly has not been done in any other country. That is taking people temperature everywhere. It is a very simple thing to do and it can identify possible candidates who have got symptoms of COVID-19. We have to improve the testing. We also have to see how some of these simple methods also could be brought in in the fight of coronavirus. So what to do when we don't have a proper testing regime or when physical distancing is also not effective because of the inherent human nature? We can go to the first level of defense, that is wearing mask. As we have discussed, coronavirus is such an inanimate particle. Getting out of its way is enough to save ourselves from the infection. And a mask can help just do that. China, South Korea, Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, they have all successfully flatten the curve or bend the curve and what do they have in common all their populations all their people were wearing masks in fact in Wuhan region where the lockout was declared in 23rd January in a very strict manner wearing mask was compulsory if you are out in the road and any mask will do we don't have to go out and see the difference between a surgical mask and a biohazard mask like what you call the N95 mask why does mask help in fighting COVID-19. Some studies have estimated that roughly fivefold protection could be given by the mask versus no barrier. Some studies have contested this figure, but they have not said that there is no advantage in wearing a mask. If you are likely to be in close contact with someone infected, a mask is definitely required. If you are also showing symptoms of coronavirus, then also a mask is definitely required. Masks are crucial to health and social care workers looking after patients and also recommended for family members who need to care for someone who is healed. Ideally, both patient and the carer should be wearing a mask. Chinese scientists are saying that not wearing masks to protect against coronavirus in other countries is a big mistake. This virus is transmitted by droplets and close contact. Droplets play an important role in spreading the virus. If you wear a mask, you can always prevent the droplets coming into your mouth. Many people have asymptomatic or pre infections. If they are wearing masks, it can prevent droplets they carry the virus from escaping and infecting others. And these droplets are coming out of a person's mouth, not only when a patient is coughing or sneezing, but also when a person is normally talking. It is encouraging to note that a Swiss special chemicals company is developing a special treatment to make the mask more resistant to coronavirus. And such mask will be available soon in the market. We have seen mask shortages in many countries, especially in the U.S., we have this N95 mask, which is biosafety mask, which covers your mouth and nose without allowing any air to come inside, which is an airtight covering, which is required for especially for the medical workers in the front line. But for common people who are going out into the street and doing their day-to-day jobs, like shopping or going for some exercise or using the public transport, etc., any mask will do, even homemade mask made of cloth, will do. It will be a big protection against this virus. If you want proper masks, there are hundreds of industries in any countries who can repurpose their facilities to make the mask. Just like we have many industrial facilities, including automobile makers, repurposing their facilities to make ventilators, masks can be made easily by many, many industries. One thing about coronavirus which we have found since its outbreak in Wuhan in China is that it responds to control. It spreads exponentially if there is no control. It grows at the rate of 30%, 35% every day. But as soon as we put in some controls, like testing or physical distancing, the growth will start slowing. And also, in the previous episode of Resource Cost, we talked about two different strains of coronavirus, the L and S strains. More recent studies are suggesting up to six strains of coronaviruses. One important nature of these different strains is that as soon as we put some controls in place, the less virulent type of the coronavirus strain will start getting an evolutionary advantage and they will start dominating the population. So you have a lot of infections still going on, but those infections will be caused by the less virulent strains, so less severe symptoms and less fatalities in the infected population. We know that whatever we do, whether we have masks, social distancing, testing, etc., the virus can be totally defeated only if we have a vaccine in place. Otherwise, a virus like coronavirus, which is very contagious and can spread silently, will stay hidden in the human population, continue circulating and could come back with vigour and virility at a time of its choosing. I'm not saying that it has got intelligence to choose, but conditions can come together which can create a perfect storm for this virus to make another comeback. Therefore, developing vaccines is very essential. It normally takes a decade or more to develop a vaccine. We have seen the case of Zika vaccine, which was announced five years ago, but till date we have not developed a vaccine against Zika. Recently, that is in December 2019, a vaccine for Ebola virus was approved and it took more than two decades for this vaccine to be developed and made available. We tried to develop a vaccine for SARS in 2002, but the whole effort was discontinued in 2003 when SARS patients started dwindling no company can make money from a vaccine which nobody has a use. Testing is our middle line of defense and I hope we will have faster tests and also serological tests that will support the main line of testing that is testing for the the virus itself. Physical distancing will have to be there for a short term but we should not make it into a month-long or year-long effort in which case it will break the economy and it will take down the whole efforts in its wake. If you don't have an economy to support the healthcare sector, we will have nothing to fight the pandemic. But I think we can make a big impact by using, compulsorily using masks, and also some of the pre-existing drugs, which could have an impact on some of the patients. And we can hope to have a vaccine sometime soon. But it will be very difficult to have a vaccine within 18 months, as some people claim, Well, to 18 months, which will be a miracle. The most realistic time frame within which we can have a vaccine is about three years. So we will have to continue with efforts which are linked to masks and drugs and testing for some time before we could get into a vaccine. I will like to conclude this going back once more to Malcolm Gladwell's quote from his book, Tipping Point. He says, epidemics are sensitive to conditions and circumstances of the times and places in which they occur. Virus is an inanimate organic material. It is highly sensitive to the circumstances of the times and places in which it occurs. It can only spread in a population which is behaving in a particular manner. If, if by chance the behavior of the population changes drastically, such as wearing masks all the time or having testing and isolations enforced strictly, then the growth of the virus can be checked. So this pandemic need not to be a long, strong battle. It could be fought very easily and concluded soon if we can get rid of our blindness towards certain things. I will stop here for this episode. We will be back next week, hopefully with more good news on the pandemic. Hopefully, hopefully with some good news on the efforts to fight this pandemic. Thank you for listening and goodbye.